1: for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by
2: law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey podcast friends, this is Ebony and Pamela. We have some exciting news. You can see us live (laughs) in January. (laughs) Yep. I, Ebony, am producing and hosting a concert to benefit two deserving organizations on Sunday, January 21st, 2018, at the Duplex Cabaret Theater on Christopher Street and 7th Avenue in the West Village here in New York City. It'll be at 6.30 p.m. The organizations benefited are Life After Hate, which is an organization that is working to extricate individuals who want to turn from a life of hate into a life of love and inclusivity. And the Drama Club, which is a team that works with incarcerated youth by giving them a voice through the performing arts, thereby lowering the recidivism rate. Producing with me is actress and dramaturg Jody Beck, and our music director, Madeline Smith, has the distinction of being the youngest female Broadway conductor in history. Pamela will be...
0: singing. along
1: with a stellar cast of other New York theater professionals. The concert will feature songs from our favorite musicals, such as Godspell, A Chorus Line, and The Scottsboro Boys. And of course, it wouldn't be a good show without (laughs) Ebony's
2: favorite of the season, Dear Evan Hansen, just to name a few. We are very excited about this concert and hope you will join us. For tickets, go to www.purplepass.com. Backslash typecast 0121. Which 0121 is the date, so that's how you remember it. Yeah, that's why it's not confusing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can go to ebonyvines.com slash current projects. See you you in January.
1: January. Bye. Bye.
2: (laughs) Don't you see? It's so simple.
1: Step one we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square.
2: Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. (laughs) Ho, 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 ye of little faith. You have the nickels? I do, I've got it. You ready? I'm ready call it in the air wait it's been a while <laughs> since i've done this i can i'm terrible okay, at ready? it okay ready call it heads <laughs> wait i don't know where it went uh... it's in that thing <laughs> <laughs> it's it fell in the table it's in the table Oh, there it is okay it
1: is <laughs> <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> okay it is heads it's heads it's heads Ebony wins <laughs> So that means you get to choose whether you want to go first or second.
2: Um. <laughs> what do I want to do? Uh, uh I'll go second. I'll All go second. Right. All right. <laughs> really
1: confident. <laughs> well, then that no, means. No, I said that so confidently. I know. That means I go first. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, theater geeks! Thank you for joining us! This is Pamela. And this is Ebony. You have stumbled upon Theater Geeks Anonymous, the show where we talk about Broadway (laughs) flops, scandals, and new works. Today,
2: (laughs) we've got another special surprise for you. Um, It's not so much, usually I say, uh, who fails, who sues, we tell their story. Right. Nobody really sued because the person, the source material was dead. That's true. (laughs) And it was in public domain. Yeah,
1: there wasn't really a lot of controversy surrounding this, except for the fact that they both went on at the same time.
2: Yeah, they went on at the same time, and also... They're like two very strong schools, like so. Yeah. Some people are very hardcore about mm-hmm. liking one of these, and the other group is like very hardcore <laughs> about liking the other one. And if you don't like theirs, they judge you. It's true. Yeah.
1: You're all wondering what we're talking
2: about, uh, and yeah,
1: that's right, everybody. I bet you are. You have reached the episode where we do the wild party duel. <laughs> Very Wait, I'm going to say it more dramatically okay. so that I can put an echo on it. Because okay. I am a big fan now
2: of, of the putting echo. special effects. <laughs> the Wild the Party wild duel. 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 duel,
1: And see, I left myself some space there yeah. so that it can be like a long pan. Okay.
2: <laughs> I look forward to hearing the long pan you should the echo you should there
1: was an intermission episode i think it was number five where mm-hmm. i said intermission so numero cinco and i did that <laughs> echo. it was so funny to me that i just cracked myself up laughing while doing it <laughs> so if y'all figured it out by now i'm sure you did yeah because we flipped a coin we, yeah. yeah we flipped a <laughs> coin at the beginning of this episode to see who gets to go first and I won. Well, I mean, Ebony won, but I get to go first because she, to she told first. me to. Yeah. But that was what I was secretly hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about this, if you couldn't tell, because I am a big fan of both of these for very different reasons.
2: I, I, yeah, I don't really don't have a preference. Okay, Maybe they're going to take away my geek card Ugh. for saying that. Ugh. But in my defense, I also <laughs> did not see both of them live. I've not seen either of them live. I have friends who have saw both live okay. and have very strong opinions. I did see the Lippa one yeah. uh, when Sutton did it Yeah, uh, last season. Which we'll talk about. We will talk about <laughs> that. So that's the only one I've seen. And then, of cool. course, I've heard this cast recording for both. But. Yeah.
1: Yeah. See, like this was... Right after I graduated high school, and I had the cast recording for the one you were doing, which was Michael John LaCusa uh-huh. first, mm-hmm. and then I got the Andrew Lipper version, and my world just opened up a little. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so if you all didn't figure that out, I am doing the Andrew Lipper version of uh, The Wild Party. <laughs> I'm going to set the scene for you. <clears throat> it's 2000, New York theater scene. They got a pretty rare occurrence. Not one, but two separate original musicals with separate writing and separate creative teams, but both were based on the same source material. 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 I'll leave some space there for... (laughs) There's going to be a lot of echoing in this episode, I think.
2: It's (laughs) my (laughs) favorite.
1: That same source material became the basis of two separate musicals. There was a Broadway version with a score by Michael John LaCusa and an off-Broadway version by Andrew Lippa. Mm -hmm. That source material was called The Wild Party. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) It was a book-length narrative poem written by Joseph Moncure March. Mm -hmm. The poem was widely banned upon its 1928 publication for having um, content viewed as wild, uh, well, as wild as the titular party is mm-hmm. what it said. The poem was a success despite and perhaps part in, uh, partly due to the controversy surrounding the work. Mm-hmm. And although March's subsequent projects were more mainstream, this remains one of his more... Well-known. <laughs> Lipa's edition began its life with a reading at the O'Neill Theater Center in 1999. One year later, the work opened off-Broadway at the Manhattan Theater Club, going on to enjoy a run of 54 performances. Though the initial run was brief, its fans in the theater community were passionate, as you mentioned before. A cast recording was made and released after the production closed and the Wild Party became a popular show for colleges and amateur groups to produce. This Wild Party especially has been done regionally Mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's the true uh, that's true of yours. Yeah,
2: it is. Oh, okay.
1: Um, But yeah, it's really amazing to me how many times I see or hear. Oh, yeah. The lipper versions going up over there. So that's really cool. So here's a little bit of a synopsis of the Lipa (laughs) version, just so we're clear. (laughs) Act one, it's the roaring 1920s and the beautiful young Queenie, although she tries, cannot find a lover able to satisfy her desires until she meets Burrs, a vaudevillian clown with a voracious appetite for women. Both Queenie and Burrs have now met their emotional and sexual match. For a while, they lived together happily sated. Eventually, however, the relationship sours. Burr's violent nature, which once thrilled Queenie, now scares her. Still, she longs to generate the same excitement that brought them together. She suggests a party, and Burrs agrees. The party begins with a parade of guests. Madeline the lesbian, Eddie the thug, May the dimwit, Jackie the dancer, lover-slash-brothers, Oscar and Phil D'Armano, Dolores the hooker, and Nadine the miner. Although Queenie radiates beauty and confidence, Burrs preys on other women. He makes his move on their youngest guest, Nadine. Despite her casual reprimand of his behavior, Queenie wants to hurt Burrs in return. The vivacious Kate arrives with her new friend, Mr. Black. Queenie, quite taken with Black, plans to make her move on him. Kate drags him away to meet the other guests. Queenie's plans are momentarily undermined. The party's (laughs) revelry, easy for me to say, (laughs) continues... Burr's hits on Kate, Madeline hits on Nadine, Eddie chugs beer and almost fights with Burr's. During the chaos, Black finds himself equally as taken with Queenie as she is with him, much to the chagrin of Kate. As revenge, Kate plans on seducing Burr's. Meanwhile, in a corner of the room, Madeline is in a drunken stupor and on the prowl for a woman with very little success. Although Queenie is fully aware that Burr's will threaten her physically, (laughs) she makes her move on Mr. Black. I, that sentence just is so odd to me. Yeah. But it's, I guess, this is sometimes how people act. Uh, she makes her move on Mr. Black, easily getting him to dance with her. Burrs watches them, his ire rising. Unsuccessfully, Kate tries to get Burrs to dance. Then, in order to defuse the situation, Kate takes Queenie out of Mr. Black's arms and dances with her instead. Burr's violent reaction against Mr. Black and Queenie is prohibited by the whole company dancing the juggernaut. At its end, Mr. Black and Queenie are back together again... They get uh, To get the reaction that he wants from Queenie, Burrs grabs Nadine, the miner, and makes out with her. This enrages Kate, who throws Nadine to the ground by her hair. Madeline rushes to the aid of Nadine. Uh, Burrs cuts in to Mr. Black and Queenie's dancing. Managing to have her to himself, Burrs tells Queenie to stay away from Mr. Black. Laughing at him, Queenie says she'll do whatever she chooses. He twists her arm. They're interrupted by Oscar and Phil at the piano. Burr releases Queenie, seeing that there are too many people watching. Burrs and Queenie join Oscar and Phil's epic musical number based on the story of Adam and Eve. Burrs plays Adam, Queenie plays Eve, and their number is interrupted by a discontented neighbor. (laughs) Eddie and May yell insults at the man, and the crowd goes wild. The two celebrate their togetherness. That's uh, Eddie and May, Mm -hmm. their togetherness. Suddenly, Mr. Black approaches Queenie and pointedly asks why she stays with an abusive brute. She reflects on her situation and comes to the conclusion that perhaps she's just learned to like the aggressive treatment. Elsewhere, Kate is attempting to seduce Burr's. He refuses her advances and expresses his deepest, darkest feelings for Queenie. She's driving him crazy. Kate tries to kiss Burr's, but he pushes her away. Black kisses Queenie. She embraces him. Act two. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Right? Right? The party rages on. Kate is alone and reflecting on her youthful indulgence. Alone in the bathroom, Queenie is taking stock of her predicament, although she's angry that she has confided in Black, a virtual stranger. She recognizes his goodness. This both stirs and confuses her feelings. Black enters the bathroom with a drink. The two share a moment as Black conveys his admiration for Queenie. Suddenly, Burrs comes in seeking Queenie's attention. He apologizes for his behavior and asks for her forgiveness. Before she can respond, Kate arrives. She unsuccessfully... This must be a big bathroom, by the way. (laughs) It wouldn't happen in my bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, mine (laughs) neither. She unsuccessfully tries to draw Burrs back onto the dance floor. Both men pull for her affections and devotion. Mr. Black asks Queenie to leave the apartment with him. Burrs asks her to stop the party and let them return to their isolation. Queenie is unable to respond to either man. Frustrated and hurt, Burr's lashes out by physically threatening her. His outburst causes Queenie to leave the bathroom, and Black quickly follows. It is clear that Burr's is quickly becoming desperate and depressed. Soon after, he begins to hallucinate and hear Queenie's voice in his head. Thinking May is Queenie, he mistakenly attacks her and angers Eddie. A fight ensues. Mr. Black and Queenie return to find Eddie viciously beating Burr's. Queenie is afraid that Burr's will be killed if it's not stopped. But... Out of concern, Black rushes in, knocks Eddie unconscious with a chair. May tends to Eddie. Kate comes to the aid of the passed out Burrs. Realizing all of the trouble he's causing, Mr. Black tells Queenie that he'll leave. Queenie, however, cannot let him go and leads him into the bedroom. In a moment of passion, the two begin making love. The party guests follow suit in the living room.
2: Whew. This is kind of
1: party. Mm Early the next morning, the reveler, the revelers, why can I not say revelry or anything like it? (laughs) Um, The partygoers lie asleep in the living room. Kate wakes Burrs, who is beside her. Queenie is strikingly absent. Burrs, fearing the worst, staggers to the bedroom to find her in the bed with Black. When the two lovers wake, Queenie recoils in shock. Black jumps up and attempts to tackle Burrs, but fails. Burrs moves to the dresser, locates a gun. Full of rage, he vacillates between trying to force Queenie to make a choice between the two men. He threatens to kill Black and also threatens to kill himself. Black, who realizes that Burr's is about to make a decision, takes a chance and lunges at Burr's. The gun goes off. Burr's is dead. Fearing that Mr. Black will now be executed for the death, Queenie urges him to flee. Before leaving, Black professes his love for her. Queenie, now having lost both men, questions how things managed to reach that point of loss. She exits the apartment with her coat, all eyes upon her, sad, beautiful grace. The end. That is a packed show. Yeah. So some of the productions that were done. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: the musical, as I said before, was performed at the Uni- uh, Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in 1997. Oh, I didn't mention this before. No. Um, there was a workshop done in 1997 that actually had Kristen Chenoweth. and I read an interview that Andrew Lippa had done where he said, uh, he was asked, um, you know, what did you think about uh, hiring Kristen Chenoweth mm-hmm. to do your original workshop? And he said, oh, you know what? Eugene O'Neill Theater Center doesn't really have auditions. They just say, you know, these are the people that are available mm-hmm. if you want to use them. And so no one at that point really knew Kristen Chenoweth. She had maybe done Steel Pier at that point. Okay. But nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, she hadn't done Charlie Brown, and that's really what put her right. on the map. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she was just this unknown, but Andrew Lippa loved her so much. It was, And that now they still collaborate on different projects together um, today, so that's kind of cool. But she played May in that production. Uh, the musical opened off-Broadway on February twenty fourth, 2000 at the Manhattan Theater Club, and it ran for 54 performances before closing on April 9th. Directed by Gabriel Barr and choreographed by Mark Dendy, it starred Julia Murney as Queenie, Brian Darcy James, <laughs> whom I love, as Burrs. <laughs> uh, let's see, Tay Diggs as Mr. Black, and Adina Menzel as Kate, uh, and Alex Corey as Madeline True to finish off the cast. A cast album was actually recorded a week after they closed because of popular demand. There were so many people that were, you know, upset that the show had to close. And I couldn't find information about why it had to close. Well, other I heard, than I think that just the season. Like,
2: right. Because it was like, as far as I've heard. Uh, It was supposed to be, like, a limited run. Yeah, and they did Um,
1: extend it.
2: Right, and then there was talk that it would move to Broadway. Right. And that's the bit that, like, I don't really know why it didn't move to Broadway.
1: I wish there was more information on that. I do have a little bit that I'll get into. But, yeah, I couldn't really find a lot. Um, Let's see. Uh, That cast recording (laughs) was released by RCA Records, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely worth listening to if you've been living under a rock and haven't heard it. (laughs) Uh, let's see. Oh, in 2004, the Wild Party was produced as part of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in Scotland. Fringe
2: Festival?
1: It's yeah. Festival Fringe, actually. Because I Fringe. looked it up. I didn't want to say something stupid. And so I actually looked it up and it is Edinburgh Festival Fringe.
2: What what year again?
1: 2004.
2: wonder if my, one of my friends was working the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah? I don't know what year, though. So Cool. That would be wonder, neat if it was. Yeah.
1: Uh, It has been staged in cities throughout the United States, including St. Louis, Chicago, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Memphis, Valparaiso, Indiana, and Reno, just to name a few. (laughs) (laughs) New York City Center's Encores Off Center series presented a staged concert version of The Wild Party as the final production of its 2015 season, and that's what you were just talking about. Um, It ran July 15th through the 18th with direction by Lee Silverman and choreography by Sonia Taya, who does a lot of choreography on So You Think You Can Dance. That's how oh. I know her. <laughs> um, she's really very good, though. Uh, it featured Sutton Foster as Queenie, Stephen Pasquale. Pascal, I never know how to say it's, his it's last pa- name. Uh, Pascal. Pasquale? Well, they say Pasqual. Pasquale. Okay, yeah. I'm going to hope that's right. <laughs> he was actually uh, Brian Darcy James' understudy in the original Off-Broadway production. Oh. Isn't that I cool? I didn't know that. And uh, Andrew Lippa, in that same interview that I spoke of mm. earlier, said that he loved Stephen Pas- Pasquale.
2: <laughs> it's going to be like me it last is, night. Yeah. With, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, he loved Stephen Pasquale, but uh, was he was just a little too young to play the yeah. role.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, obviously, Brian Darcy James did an amazing job, but he <laughs> said, you know, if it had ever come down to it, He Mm -hmm. wanted to see him play it. He just wasn't quite old enough yet. So it's good that he got another chance. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Brandon Victor Dixon as Mr. Black, which I bet was just amazing. Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) This is another name that I have no idea how to pronounce. Joaquina Kalukongo. I hope we
2: got it right. I know. I'm so sorry if I
1: didn't. And Miriam Shore as Madeline True. Oh, and Ryan Andes as Eddie. Um so what happened uh, according to playbill uh this is what they wrote well it won't be moving to broadway but manhattan theater clubs the wild party the new musical by composer lyricist librettist andrew lippa has proved pop- popular enough to extend another week until april 9th the dark edge tuner is also due to be recorded the cast will gather in the studio a few days after the show closes last week producers jeffrey seller and kevin McCollum. Uh, of Rent fame, Mm -hmm. uh, reportedly said in a statement... Oh, oh yeah? Well, Jeffrey.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, they went their separate ways, but Jeffrey did Hamilton.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Uh, They said in a statement that they are thrilled with the production, but it doesn't make sense to transfer to Broadway in the current environment. Now, whether that means because there's another show on Broadway that's the same title and the same source material, Uh or if it's just simply... The wrong time of year because summer is also right. a little bit of a dead. Well, well, no, actually, summer is a big season. This would have been the, April.
2: The thing that I read because mm-hmm. one of the, a lot of people feel like you know the Broadway version shouldn't have closed. Yeah, um, but you know it, that a lot of the articles I read they just felt like it was a period of time. Mm-hmm. Where people wanted more escapism, maybe. Okay. And so maybe people they didn't wanted didn't want to be dredged down right, with this kind they of they wanted something lighter. Yeah. They wanted, like, the old-school, sort of light-hearted... Sure. ...you know, Broadway musical. And so that's what I read in a lot of articles, that yeah. people felt like maybe that's why. That could be. I mean, yeah. you're right. I feel like the 1990s were just full of that
1: kind of dark, heavy material. Yeah. But then you're right. Maybe the 2000s were just the turnaround.
2: Especially, I mean a few months or a year later than we had, you know, 9/11, absolutely. Um the musical
1: drawn from this 1928 verse poem uh got mixed reviews after its February 24th opening at MTC stage. Another musical version of the poem, I don't know, I've got all of this information all kind of from different sources, so some of it's repeat information, so I do apologize. Um, Another musical version of the poem was being staged on Broadway beginning March 10th at the Virginia Theater, and you'll speak about that. Right. Um, But it was also dubbed the Wild Party, so I think that was within the same article by Playbill, so maybe that was part of the issue as well. The critical reception was actually fairly good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben Brantley of the New York Times said that Lippa's score was jittery, had a jittery wandering quality, conscientiously shifting styles and tempos as if in search of a lost chord. The ballads are of high decibel swooning pop variety made popular by Frank Wildhorn. Mr. Lippa fares better with the pastiches of jazz and vaudeville. So it's, I mean, I guess it's not great. It's Mm -hmm. on the fence a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um Although these two, uh, these other styles—jazz, vaudeville, and gospel—do suffer by comparison to the candor Ebb songs from Chicago. Which I guess would it uh, Chicago and Cabaret both uh the revivals came up the year prior. So I yeah. think people were looking for some sort of comparison to that. Right.
2: Yeah, they were saying that a lot of okay. one too.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. So I wonder that's pro I mean, that's probably part of it too. Yeah. You know, you're looking for a certain kind of show and you just kind of get a pale representation of it, so it's not as fulfilling, it's not as satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, The Wild Party may not be the perfect musical we've all been looking for, but it's great fun to watch and puts enough talent on display to have uh, have warranted a longer run than it will have. So that was kind of nice. That was a curtain up reviewer. Variety says the first challenge facing the creators of these musicals is how to win over an audience with such nasty material. His music is very, uh, Lipa's music is very accessible. But that's the problem. It's accessible because you feel you've heard it before. Oh. And they also say that his lyrics are rudimentary.
2: Hmm. So, you know, I mean. It's like mixed reviews. yeah. Which is, look uses had the same thing. Sure. It was like
1: mixed reviews. Yeah, yeah, so nothing could really hold it together. It was like a tart that didn't have a crust that was well-baked. <laughs> I'm watching the Great Didn't British, have enough British Yeah, right, right? Yeah. I'm watching the Great British Bake Off right now <laughs> and so I you know, I've got all these baking stuff in my mind. <laughs> I do have a little comparison to Lacusa's Wild Party that I was able to find online and unfortunately I don't have written down where I found it. Okay. So I'm not sure who to give credit to, so I do apologize for that. But uh, it states uh, the Andrew Lippa and the Michael John Lacusa versions of the Wild Party are markedly different in their storylines. In Lippa's version, the plot is tightly focused on the central tr- love triangle of Joseph Moncure Marsh's original poem, and the cast is much smaller. Many of the characters in Lacusa's version do not appear in Lippa's version at all mm-hmm. or have much smaller roles. Mm-hmm. Notably, Dolores, who is who uh, in Lacusa's version was a major supporting role mm-hmm. who was originated by Eartha Kitt. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll bring her up later. Yeah. She will love her. She was amazing. Yeah. There are major differences in the music and tone of the two shows as well. And that's absolutely true. Lipa's songs are not wholly dependent on the plot of the show and can be understood arguably better than LaCusa's Out of Context. And I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. I had LaCusa's version first, Mm -hmm. and I think probably memorized before I actually bought the Lipa version. Mm -hmm. But... I had tr- I had so much trouble figuring out what the story was by listening to the cast recording. And that's one of my favorite things to do before I, you know, open up the liner notes and read yeah. the libretto and mm-hmm. read, you know, what the synopsis is. Like, I mm-hmm. like to figure out what the story is by yeah. listening to the songs. Mm-hmm. And then when you can't figure it out, it's not necessarily a fun mystery to figure out. It's kind of frustrating.
2: I I Because I've already seen it, like, mm-hmm. before I had listened to it. Oh, sure. That... I didn't have trouble, but maybe it's because I saw it already. Yeah. So well,
1: you saw the Lipa version, though, did right? See the yeah, aversion. I'm speaking to the Lacusa version. Right,
2: but like I still understand. You know oh, what I mean? Gotcha. Like I sort of am, like okay, so even well, though, well, um, yeah, like, yeah, oh, I that happened. Okay, this this is the part that's <laughs> happening there. Oh, okay, this is probably what's happening. Yeah, there, because I have some sort of context for yeah. what the story is. I get that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh. um Comparatively, the Lacusa score is tightly interwoven with the plot of the show. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Stylistically, Lacusa mimics the jazz of the era, yeah. while Lippa uses deliberately anachronistic um, pop rock sound, complete with guitars. I. I wouldn't call it a pop rock sound. Mm -hmm. I would call it more contemporary musical theater, but he is very correct in his estimation. The lacusa version is very much the sound of that period. That's like why he wanted to do it. I think so. And and he did it very well, I think. Uh, And the performers were so wholeheartedly invested in that sound as well. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Especially when he does his, and well, you'll mention it later. Yeah. (laughs) but the sound of the season i think was more lippas of that per- of the 2000 okay. season
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh so i think you know i think that's why people are so divided for or against yeah, one you know? Or the know yeah. yeah i think i mean i can look at both of them and say I love both of them Mm -hmm. and I can see the merits in both styles, but I do have a favorite that I listen to. Yeah. You know,
2: (laughs) I I, I feel like, you know, most people have that. I'm like the weird one where I'll, I mean, I'll listen to either one. Yeah. I don't have a strong (laughs) leaning either way. That's why when, when we were deciding who was going to do what Mm -hmm. and I was like, whatever you want to do, which one do you want to do? And you were like, I want Lippa! It's
1: like, okay. <laughs> well, when I think... Well, I don't know. Maybe this is different for all people. But yeah. I, when I listen to a soundtrack or a cast recording of yeah. something, I want to sing along. Mm-hmm. And so when something is more difficult to sing along to, yeah. it's not as fun to listen to. Okay. Lippa's version is so easy to sing, even the male parts. Like, mm-hmm. it's so easy to be sung. And... Lacusa is so intricate. I feel like this is true of most of Lacusa's work, though. Mm-hmm. Hello Again is one of those other shows where you're just like, how it's so difficult. Like, technically speaking, mm-hmm. the music is so intricate and so technically detailed uh-huh. that it's difficult to pick apart, and you can't just find the melody line and follow along. Okay. So, I think for me, at right. least, that's why Lippa is so much more attractive to listen mm-hmm. to, but only for that reason. Right. That, you know? I mean, that
2: would make sense. Yeah. I can't sing, so it does. <laughs> me, it's like all the same. I couldn't sing any of it. <laughs>
1: well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a song in Lacusa's version mm-hmm. called After Midnight Dies that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite. <laughs> It's so good. It's,
2: t- it's I really, really enjoyed listening to it. It's so I mean, good. But also, I like. I love jazz music, and yeah, I love Duke totally. Ellington and Ella Fitzgerald. Like I love them. And Do you know what else?
1: <laughs> Me too. Mm-hmm. But like, there is this kind of tension. Mm-hmm. From start to finish, yeah. in Lacusa's version, yeah. that makes me feel on edge the whole time. Which is
2: like you should, because it's something so terrible good. is and going to happen. And such an
1: emotional yeah. connection, and Tony Collette and Mandy Patinkin yeah. both, well, everyone's right. performances, but right. Mandy, Mandy and Tony especially, just have this amazing. Once you hear some of their backs, yes. the
2: backs, like oh, what was I happening backstage, will <laughs> be like, oh, oh no. So,
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right. So uh, I'm going to talk about Michael John LaCusa's uh, version. Um, so the whole thing started because uh, the public theater commissioned him to um, write a musical. And he decided that this was the show that he wanted to uh, that he wanted to write. Um, he had read the short story, and he was attracted to the 1920s jazz age of Duke Ellington and the Cotton Club recordings of 1928 and 29. Yep. Which is what I said, right? Yeah. Um, in a Playbill article uh, from the rehearsals, uh, Michael John LaCusa said. A line from the poem describing Queenie particularly grabbed him. Her face was a tinted mask of snow. The words leapt out at me, LaCusa says. I wondered what was beneath the mask. I wanted to know who she was, what propelled her to become who she was, and what propels all of us to wear masks. The Wild Party itself is not just a party. It's a metaphor for our day-to-day existence. Wow. So, So I think that also speaks to what you were talking about, like the constant tension mm-hmm. throughout the piece um, because it's definitely about like what's happening inside of Queenie and like this life she's living mm-hmm. Uh The show uh, was presented as a series of vaudeville sketches complete with signs at the beginning and the end, uh, but they were abandoned for most of the show. Again, I didn't see it, so I didn't either. It,
1: like the sandwich board like a vaudeville show sandwich board, yeah,
2: sign? it would be something like that, or um, I think Scottsboro Boys may have done this okay, yeah, probably. as well, like they oh, would in listening to the cast
1: recording of Wild Party, it does seem like that like yeah. uh someone takes about you know, yeah. I think I think I remember that being in one of the lyrics
2: I, I think i um Scottsboro Boys was more oh shoot, I forget what the genre is. somebody's screaming at me, especially my friends. <laughs> Uh It'll come to me. Freaking love Scottsboro Boys anyway. <laughs> um But but yeah, it's like that the signs mm-hmm. you know saying like this is what's happening whatever. Yeah. Um anyway, and they were announcing the next scene propped on an easel at the side of yeah. the stage. Yeah, that's there what it was though. that was what I was picturing. Yep. Queenie and Burr's, whose relationship is disintegrating, host a party fueled by bathtub gin, cocaine, and uninhibited sexual behavior. <laughs> it quickly devolves into an orgy that culminates in tragedy. The guests include Faded Star Dolores, Kate, Queenie's best friend and rival, Black Kate's younger lover, who was uh, who has his eye on Queenie, Jack, a rich, ambi- ambisextrous kid, <laughs> Uh, who has his eye on everyone, regardless of gender or age. Oscar and Phil D'Armano. 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 Yeah. <laughs> A gay couple brother act. Lesbian stripper Miss Madeline True and her morphine addicted girlfriend Sally. Which was... Sally Elizabeth? sings after... No. Right, because I was like, when you said people, I don't remember you no, mentioning... No, Sally, Sally was
1: never... No, because Madeline she True was came going, single to the party. Right,
2: and she was like trying to find someone. Yeah, she was trying to get one. with
1: Nadine. Okay.
2: <laughs> yep. Sally sings after midnight dies, though. Yes. That song that I was just talking it's a about. Good yeah. Song. It's such a good, a good song. song. Um and then uh prize fighter Eddie uh and his white wife May and May's underage Lolita's sister Nadine. Okay. <laughs> I always right. wanted to see the lights of Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um I'm gonna give a synopsis of the Michael John Lacusa version. Some of this <laughs> We'll probably repeat again it's the same source mm-hmm. material yeah. so oh also just a like little side note the it was the reason why like it was so easy to get a hold of this piece is because it was in the public domain mm-hmm. by the time that um, uh, Michael and Andrew were you know deciding on what they wanted to write on so it was just like easy yeah easy to get they didn't have to go through anybody and get rights or anything <laughs> okay. So at the beginning of the show, the company recounts the story of Queenie, a blonde who works as a showgirl in the vaudeville, who is attracted to violent and vicious men. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still. Everybody knows that <laughs> line. Uh she's currently living with a man named Burrs who works in the same vaudeville who works in vaudeville as well. Um, and is the act after her. His act is a minstrel show. That's man- the and, and I was like, why can't I remember? <laughs> Boom. I was totally going to say it, Yes. Too. That's what Scottsboro Boys is, a minstrel show. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so his act is a minstrel <laughs> show where he performs in blackface. Um, and then the song Marie is Tricky is one of mm-hmm. those. Uh, one Sunday, Queenie wakes up restless and she and Burr's soon come to blow's. To try to put less strain on their relationship and to convince her to put a knife down, Burr (laughs) suggests they throw a huge party and invite all the old gang. Queenie is ecstatic and they get prepared for the the evening, the wild party. Promenade of guests. The guests soon arrive and exchange words with Burr's and alcohol starts flowing. Then the song dry comes in. Queenie makes her appearance in a quote-unquote new dress, My Beautiful Blonde, is the song they sing there, (laughs) and welcomes everyone. Meeting Nadine, a minor who wants to be a blonde and drink bathtub gin, Queenie takes her under her wing as she mingles with the other guests. Madeline, an almost famous stripper, introduces Queenie to her new girlfriend, the catatonic, morphine-addicted Sally, (laughs) who she met crawling outside the theater in a drug stupor. Madeline believes Sally is a postmodernist, to which Burr's replies, in need of a postmortem. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline tells Queenie of their love and of Sally's genius. Next up is Jackie, an ambi rich kid with his eye on anybody and everybody. The incestuously devoted... <sighs> Darmo? Darmano. Darmano <laughs> Brothers. I'm, I am I. always have some name I can't do. Um, Oscar and Phil sing a new ditty as Gold and Goldberg. Two would-be producers arrive. They are planning to move Uptown, and Burrs is convinced that they want to take him. He joins in with the brothers to impress them in the song Uptown. Queenie wonders where her friend Kate is, and Burrs expresses his dislike for her. Eddie, a successful black boxer, and his white wife May take talk of their marriage in eddie and may dolores a faded star hints to burrs that she knows his secrets and forces him to introduce her to Golden goldberg the producers are fighting over their name with gold wanting to change goldberg's name to golden to hide their jewish heritage and how to become successful burrs introduces them to dolores who begins to blah, sorry <laughs> Burrs introduces them to Dolores, who begins to seduce them with her feminine wiles in the song, Moving Uptown. The Party. Queenie starts a dance to raise the energy in the song, Black Bottom, but Kate soon interrupts uh, interrupts with her arrival. She has come with Mr. Black, an attractive gigolo. Queenie and Kate trade insults and love, telling Nadine of their double-edged friendship in the song, Best Friend. Burrs and Kate do not get along, with a Kate disapproving of Queenie's romantic entanglement with him, hmm. while Queenie <laughs> and Black begin to feel an attraction to each other. That's just funny because of <laughs> Queenie's choices, but fine. Um, meanwhile, Jackie tries to separate the Darmo brothers, Darmo brothers, <laughs> flirting with Oscar. Dolores hints to Queenie about Troubles and Burr's past in the song Everybody Has Their Secrets with Nadine while Nadine sings a P-A-E-A-N 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 Yeah,
1: I guess so <laughs>
2: <laughs> While Nadine sings a lovely song to Broadway <laughs> only to be cut off by Queenie The Lights of Broadway I always wanted to see the lights of Broadway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, go. (laughs) Queenie and Black meet up and find their attraction growing stronger in the song Taboo. Queenie asks him to show her how he picks up ladies and his hypothetical soon turns into a real proposition in the song Taking Care of the Ladies. And he pulls her to dance in Taboo Dance. Kate and Burrs notice how close Queenie and Black are becoming and Burrs wonders about the demise of fidelity in the song wouldn't it be nice queenie tells black of her troubled existence wondering why she was born in low down down as Burrs hypes up the party with gin the party quickly escalates with everybody drinking dancing and arguing dolores warns queenie of Burrs first wife who he beat to death oh my goodness yeah that's wow and queenie escapes to the bathroom there the party quickly escalates with everybody drinking and dancing and arguing. Dolores warns Queenie of Burr's first wife, who he beat to death, and Queenie escapes to the bathroom. There, she is confronted by Burrs of her entang- she uh Yeah. There she is confronted by Burrs of her entanglement with Black, and he begins to assault her. Kate barges in and saves Queenie, and Burrs furiously rejoins the party with a coked up Jackie. Kate and Queenie argue about her relationship with Burrs, as Jackie and Oscar are found having sex in the bathroom. Well, wow. I yeah. Oscar and Phil argue publicly while May and Eddie exchange heated words. Kate warns Queenie that Burrs will kill her, and when Queenie refuses to listen, Kate jumps back into the party. Eddie and May soon come to blows, hitting each other, as Dolores seduces Gold and Goldberg, bringing them into the bedroom. Distraught with the state of the party, <laughs> Queenie is dragged out by Black as the party continues in full swing in the song Wild. Madeline searches for Sally and asks, asks her to say her name. The guests all gather and culminate in an orgy in the song Need. As Burrs asks Kate and, about Black, Kate reveals that she knows Black is using her, but she is fine with it in the song "Black is a, Black is a Moocher. Yeah. Black is yeah. a
1: moocher, and
2: I, I like, like it like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Outside, Queenie and Black bond at the fact that they are different from the rest, wondering where they belong and what will become of them in the song People Like Us. I really like that song. Me too. After Midnight Dies. So, <laughs> this is the last part, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this is the end. Sally, naked, carrying her clothes, reveals she can see clearly now what she and everyone else is. And that's, that's a this, really poorly written it's sentence. A terribly written sentence. <laughs> um, in the song After Midnight Dies, she finds. I don't know H- if I mentioned this.
1: <laughs> it's one of my favorites.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she finds Eddie recounting how it feels to beat someone acclaimed, but still be detested in the song Golden Boy, which is the musical. Which, yeah. I think, is about a black boxer. Yeah. <laughs> Golden yes. Boy. She notices Oscar and Phil making up and turns to find Golden Goldberg. Pants nowhere to be found, <laughs> wondering what has happened to them. Dolores appears and warns them that their promise must be kept or, tr- or terrible things will happen in the song moving The Moving Uptown Blues. She then sneaks into the bedroom where Nadine has just done her first line of coke with Jackie. At Nadine's request for more, Jackie laments how he can never get enough of anything, culminating in rape in the song More. Mm -hmm. May (laughs) hears Nadine's muffled screams, and Eddie charges in and beats Jackie. Eddie goes wild, threatening everyone as Queenie and Black arrive. When Eddie charges at Queenie, Black hits him. Queenie questions Nadine on what had happened with Jackie, but she refuses to call him out, instead saying she was scared and screamed. Jackie tries to start the party up again and takes out more cocaine. Seeing the coke, Sally goes to him, leaving Madeline. Madeline chases after her, but is stopped when Sally asks, who's Sally? The guests are told to leave by burrs, and they disappear into the background. Kate confronts Black, telling him that Queenie will choose Burr's and he will have nowhere to go. Burr's and Queenie come to blows as she reveals she knows about his wife in the song Love Ain't Nothing," Welcome to Her Party. Queenie refuses to let Burr's make up her mind and leaves with Black. Burr's wonders how many other women could make him feel the way she does before concluding it is just her in the song How Many Women in the World. <laughs> Gold and Goldberg tell him they had no intention of taking him uptown with them, and he begins to put on his vaudeville makeup. Dolores recounts how she used to love the dark, but now she loves the cold, hard light that spares no one. She enjoys knowing who has the stuff and who doesn't to survive Mm. in the song when it ends. Okay, this is the actual finale of what's coming right now. (laughs) Okay. Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to put an echo on that.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Queenie and Black lie in bed as Queenie wonders what it is to live in light and love. In the song, This Is What It Is, Burr's done up in blackface mimics the guests before entering the bedroom. He pulls out a gun and threatens to kill Queenie. Black fights him and Burr's is shot dead and falls on the bed. Kate rushes in and hurries bla- hurries Black to safety. So that's like... A twist, right? Mm -hmm. The company does the opening vaudeville, trying to lure Queenie into its revelry. Queenie tries, but soon begins to take off her makeup. The company dropping the vaudeville and joining her. Queenie is bathed in morning light, scared, unsure, but hopeful. She smiles at the dawn. Totally different. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's super different. That you can... (laughs) Who would be able to be hopeful after that? Right. <laughs> like how?
1: The, well, and what I did read when I was doing research about mine was that um, the Tony Collette character of Queenie mm-hmm. was much more childish in her, mm-hmm. her portrayal and in her in the writing of her okay. was much more. Um, spoiled child as opposed to adult making these debauched decisions. Okay. Um, And so she did everything in reaction. So I suppose at the end of all of this, Mm -hmm. she could kind of look back Mm -hmm. on the total of her life and say, okay, I need to grow up now. And maybe that is where the hope comes in. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know for sure, but
2: could be. So tell me more. Uh, The cast and creative was as follows. Lyrics and music were by Michael John LaCusa, the book, book was by Lacusa and George Seawolf. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the direction was by George Seawolf. Choreography by Joey McKeanley and set design by Robin Wagner. Costume design by Tony Leslie James. Tony Collette played Queenie. Mandy Patinkin played Burrs. Yancey Arias played Black. Eartha Kitt played Dolores. Mark Kudish played Jackie. I love him. Me too. <laughs> I also love this man, Norm Lewis. Oh, <laughs> played Eddie Mackerel. Yes, yeah, love him. And T- Tanya Pinkins played Kate. Mm-hmm. Yep. The show played a workshop at the Public Theater from February fifteenth to February twenty sixth in nineteen ninety nine with Vanessa Williams playing Queenie. Yes, mm-hmm. I I heard about that original yeah. casting, but then she got pregnant. That's right. That's exactly right. So. Uh, it was Vanessa Williams playing um, Queenie, Mandy Patinkin was still playing Burrs, and Eartha Kitt was still playing Dolores at that uh, workshop. Um, all right, so although Ertha's role was reduced over the course of workshop productions, um, she still returned to Broadway after an absence of more than 20 years creating the role <laughs> of Dolores. Uh, The four were backed by a large ensemble cast, each of whom has featured song or key moments to take center stage. The show was nominated for seven Tony Awards. So it was Tony Collette as Best Leading Actress in a Musical, Eartha Kitt as Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Mandy Patinkin was Best Leading Actor in a Musical, and it was also nominated for Best Musical. Do you remember seeing that performance? Oh, yeah it was amazing Yeah, I watched it with my mom because my mom like Eartha Kitt my mom was like it's Eartha yeah. Kitt oh my god yeah
1: that was and that was an all skate every single uh uh cast member was on the stage yeah. during that musical number it was really really good it was good. wonderful it was really good. I was
2: I I absolutely remember that like whenever anyone says the wild party like that's yeah. what first pops in my head totally that performance on the Tony Awards <laughs> Um, In 2001, LaCusa said the role of Queenie was written for Vanessa Williams, uh, who was replaced with Colette when she became pregnant. LaCusa said, I don't think of it as something that was lost in the piece, but it would have been fascinating to see how an audience responded to a black Queenie. Especially when her counterpart is in blackface later on. Yeah. That really would be something to see.
1: That's great. Yeah. (laughs) I talk about tension. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: The show is all about the masks that we wear culturally and the removal of those masks over the course of the party. So it's all there. Yeah. That's that's what he said. Cool. <laughs> so here's some like... Okay. So there's a lot of speculation as to why the show closed early. Um, some people think it was like political in terms of like in the theater world. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of... There are a lot of stories of trouble backstage. Oh, oh, that's right. You alluded to that. Yeah, oh, I a lot can't of wait. stories. Okay. <laughs> so one of them that's pretty well known is Manti Patinkin. Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to start with that, and I'm so excited <laughs> you are. <laughs> okay, so there's a pretty epic Michael Riedel article. Uh, and I'm going to read bits and bobs of okay. it. <laughs> okay, so Michael starts out. Mandy gives an intense and frightening performance as Burr's. Um, but for many of his fellow cast members, Patinkin's performance has at times been a little too intense, a little too frightening, and a little too real. So there there were stories that he spit in Eartha Kid's face. Oh, on like on stage? Yeah, on okay. stage, in, in, character, in character. But yeah. Um, Cast members say that during previews, the actor had ad-libbed bits of physical and verbal abuse, including smacking people in the head, shoving them, spitting water in their faces, and making offensive remarks to them under his breath.
1: Oh, yikes.
2: He also has been prone to strange emotional outbursts. The actors say they were never sure what Patekin was going to do to them on stage, and one said... (laughs) They walked around like they were wearing lead underwear for protection.
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Do you remember... um, (laughs) uh, It was, I think, when Batman Begins was being filmed. And Mm -hmm. there was a TMZ video that came out of Christian Bale just losing his stuff. Yeah, yeah. Losing it on this, you know, this unsuspecting crew guy who just happened to, like, mess up a shot. Right. And... At first everyone was just so you know they were like come on Christian you're not you're not that big a deal that kind of stuff right. that was the reaction that most people had but i remember thinking that when you are emotionally invested yeah. in a scene yeah. that sometimes you cannot control right. who or what comes out in a moment that surprises you. That's right, and I mean that is a that's a good actor because you're you're just
2: wholly invested. So there's that story I think I told you about where um, my friend Kevin will let me know if I've gotten the names wrong, and I'll put it in corrections <laughs> corner or rewrites in an intermission, so if I have. But I believe he told me the story about. I believe it was Geraldine Page. Slapping Maya Angelou. Oh my goodness. Like she had oh, this I, habit. Think I remember yes, yeah. I think I remember reading it up. Tell me that. She had this, like she was like super intense, right? And so she would get just like really into a scene and she would just like slap people in the middle of the scene. And it's not like she was angry at them. She just was like so into it and she just had all these feelings and she would just just haul off and slap people. So then Uh, apparently it wasn't Maya Angelou, but it was another actor, actress that she slapped. And it's been said, like critics said after it was like the best performance that actress gave, like the entire run (laughs) of the show. Right. So, so he said, and man, I, he's like, if he listens to this, he's going to be yelling at the, he's going to be yelling. Um, the answer to this but there was one actress who like she heard that this happened and she happened to be in a play with Geraldine Page and she went to Geraldine Page and she was like slap me because she wanted to give, like, the best performance of her life, right? And because she heard, like, the slapping apparently helped one one oh actor, goodness. like, she wanted to be slapped, too. Yeah,
1: but not if you're expecting it. Right. I mean, the slap will put you in a state of mind right. that just ups the ante. Right. So, like, I mean, that's where what it is. There's um that yeah. horrible story about, like, I wish that I could remember the movie. It was Marlon Brando. Yeah. And whoever the director was. Um, got together and they were just about to film a rape scene, but without the actress knowing, they talked about what they were going to do and then did it in the scene. But it was like, he used a stick of butter to kind of like to as uh, like a lubricant and that kind of thing. But she was completely unaware that any of this stuff was going to happen. And their whole thought process behind this was You know, in a real rape, you're going to be surprised. You're going to, you know, you're never going to know what your reaction Mm -hmm. is going to be. So we didn't want it to be scripted. We didn't want it to be acting. We wanted it to be real. But that, my friends, is called rape. Rape. Or at the very least sexual assault yeah. in this scene. And there is a fine line. I yeah. love the idea of surprising your castmates. But you still have to be able to trust who yeah. you're on stage with. Yeah. And if you cannot trust them or if you think they're going to haul off and slap you at any yeah. moment. Yeah. Y- there's There's not a... You can't be... You can't play together. No. and, and like can't.
2: And like... In in a in a in a musical this intense yeah you know like I have a dear friend who told me a story once of when she was in Taming of the Shrew, um, actually she uh she I interviewed her and she told me the story she was in Taming of the Shrew she was playing Kate, and the actor who was playing what's what's his name, oh the character's name yeah I don't
1: know I'm so oh, sorry stink. I'm so bad at Shakespeare. I'm a bad actor. It'll <laughs> come to
2: me later.
0: But um, last
1: Tango in Paris, by the way, is that movie? I just looked it up.
0: Oh,
1: Maria Schneider is the uh, is the actress. But like, there's. Uh, anyway, that's awful. I'll let you get back to your that's story. Absolutely but awful. There's a there is a story that you can look up. I think um, the Guardian is the is where the article was written okay. about that whole thing. But okay. it's, I mean, it's really disgusting, Google but anyway, it, people, yeah, yeah, that's,
2: I mean, especially with what's happening in the world oh, right completely. now. Completely. Whoa. These two, if this happened today,
1: these two men would be out of the business completely. Doesn't matter how talented you are, Marlon Brando. And I don't remember who the director is. I'll look that up and interrupt you later.
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs> but but she said you know so she was in taming of the shrew which is like extremely intense right and the the male lead that she was playing against he was in a really bad head space and he was like doing drugs and like all this stuff and it was not a safe environment no, it's and when not. you're doing something as intense as taming of the shrew or as intense as the wild party and you're not feeling safe around one of your main leads like, that doesn't make for the best working... Like, it's a horrifying... Oh, it's awful. Yeah.
1: It's awful. Yeah. Uh, Bernardo Bartolucci. Okay. Or Bertolucci. Bertolucci. But anywho.
2: It's not.
1: Oh, it's, it's no just, good. It's not. I mean, I... I, Yeah. I'm all for getting different performances from your co-workers, but not at the risk of someone's comfort. Yeah. And like mental health and mental health more than comfort. Really? Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and safety.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. You, I, I mean, like, trust... especially in that case, yes. it's like their safety. Oh, holy geez. Can't imagine. Well, so here's, um, this story is, this story is a little bit lighter, but <laughs> oh, it's, exactly. it's still, oh, yeah, let's get back it's to the pretty world Good. <laughs> um, okay. So, the, again, this is all from the Michael Riedel New York Post article. You can look it up yourself. It's feb. It's uh, April fourteenth two thousand. So you can read the whole thing. But I do want to just say this little story. So um, Tony Colette got so fed up with his antics <laughs> that she decided to get even. During the performance, during one of the performances, she crept up on him from behind and gave him a retaliatory shove. <laughs> <laughs> After the performance, a furious Patinkin said he was quitting the wild party and he did not show up for the Saturday matinee, prompting the producers to threaten him with a multimillion dollar lawsuit. <laughs> I'm sorry. What a baby. Yeah. They said, Turnabout is fair play. Right. And so but then also I heard like he would go into his um he would. He would. He would go into his uh, dressing room. His dressing room because he felt like like they weren't giving him enough to do and like wouldn't come out because he was just like so pissed that like he didn't oh, have enough to do. No.
1: When I, I hear stories like this I about talented people
2: that I love, I love Mandy Patinkin. I love so I'm him. like, please let this all be a lie, Mandy. Mm-hmm. Tell us it's a lie. Because if this is true, I know I'm upset, Makes me sad, very upset. mm Hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's At least no one's come out with like a sexual harassment suit against it. <laughs> Let's not say it out
2: loud. Wait. Cuz I'm telling you what. Like Yet. I feel like every day there's like five people, mm. like Charlie Rose, that stuff threw me for a loop. Right? I am upset. You know what, honestly though, it's
1: almost like I guess I'm not surprised.
2: It does, by anybody I,
1: I, by anymore. anybody because like, you know, like we see this public you know, facade of everyone. We don't don't have any idea what they're really like in real life. Right. It doesn't make you any less disappointed. No, but I think I'm just no longer shocked anymore.
2: I, I'm like, especially because uh, I mean, I, I remember hearing, I remember listening to interviews with like Goldie Hawn Mm hmm and she would just tell stories of the quote unquote casting couch, yeah. just like these horrific situations. Well, we joked she was about the a... casting couch for the last fifty years. Yeah, you know, and like everything Marilyn Monroe went through, like all these people went through. We heard all these stories, so like, th- this is this is not. It's like not it's upsetting, <laughs> but it's not a shock. So we have guess. really digressed. <laughs> I guess not yeah, really. No, because it's like all, it's all connected. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay is the end. (laughs) So this is the end. The end of the party. Uh, The Wild Party opened at the Virginia Theater on April 13th, 2000, after 36 previews and closed on June 11th after 68 performances. On January 26th, just three weeks into rehearsals for the Broadway musical The Wild Party, uh, which was produced by Scott Rudin, which... Mm.
1: We know your feelings about Scott Rudin. <sighs> he wrote a letter. To, I know yeah. all the things, just all the time. He's just um, not been very nice lately. Not been li- lately, <laughs> just lately, especially lately. Um, okay, that we're hearing about Thank lately. <laughs> okay, fine. Got it.
2: <laughs> wrote a letter to George C. Wolf, the producer of uh, the Joseph Pat. Mm. He so George. George Seawolf was so invested in this thing. Not only did he write the book with Michael John LaCusa mm-hmm. and direct, he also produced. Wow. Like he really wanted this thing to come to Broadway and be successful. Um, so there's an excellent New York Times article that gives so much information on um, the demise. Okay. And so I'm going to read like bits and bobs yeah. from it. Um Okay, so here's uh, a quote from my... I'm sorry, Scott Rudin. When we agreed to go forward together, I fully understood... This is Scott Rudin saying this to George. Okay. When we agreed to go forward together, I fully understood that you guys were going to be the lead producers on the venture, which I never had a problem with, provided that the criteria, criteria we agreed upon were put in place and adhered to, Mr. Rudin wrote. To be told yesterday... Um, George is an artist and doesn't have time for producing issues so contravenes the understanding that I feel it is pointless to try and continue. So he like basically like bowed out of producing. He gave like so much money. Like
1: I'm I am not just I'm not the only producer. Yeah. But if the other producer says that he's too busy doing the creative stuff to actually help me, then I'm out. Right. Basically. Right. Okay. But he
2: wasn't he wasn't the only producer. Okay. Um, but he was one of the main Right. He was one I mean, Scott Rudin gave I, I believe the most money. Okay. Um but he was persuaded to stay. Um and then uh the commercial failure of The Wild Party raised broad questions both about the public theater and about Broadway's capacity to handle an orthodox fare. So there were a lot of questions, like I said earlier, as to like can can audiences handle something like this dark? Yeah. You know, I mean I I will say, like, Scottsboro Boys didn't do well either. And mm-hmm. that's like that doesn't have a happy ending. And it's Here's true. Here's the trouble.
1: Yeah. Even if audiences came to the show and loved it, mm-hmm. if they don't come to the show. It's not going to succeed, right? And so when you come, and I've said this before, Mm -hmm. you come with a family of four. They they're coming from Ohio. They're making a four day trip. The wild party. They're already paying four hundred dollars a night for their hotel. Right. They're already paying for their food and their airfare there. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? Are they going to go and see the wild party, which they have read now is about debauched nineteen twenties, bathtub gin, rape, murder. Right. I or are they going to go be see The Lion King? They're
2: going to go see The Lion King, or they're going to go see Wicked, right? or they're going to go Poppins, see Cats, or Phantom Aladdin. Of the Opera. Like any of
1: those shows, yeah. because they know what they're getting SpongeBob. into. Unfortunately,
2: SpongeBob.
1: Which I actually saw
2: in the Macy's Day Parade, and it looks really cute. We're not talking about okay. this. Okay. We're not going to talk about this. Mm-mm. No, we're not. Know <laughs> how strong my feelings are about this. We're not going to talk about this. Okay, um. all right.
1: we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen it, and I've only heard a couple of the songs, but I do. I it does look really cute, and I love what they've done with some of the costumes. They're very innovative, especially Squidward. <laughs> okay, she's rolling her eyes. Go for it. okay. Go ahead, and finish. <laughs> finish your party, guys. Okay. <laughs>
2: Although many say the Wild Party might have been an easier time starting at the public rather than high stakes Broadway. The public theater wanted to produce it uptown from the beginning. So like, you know, it's another thing where we always talk about you need to have a tryout. They only had like two workshops and then boom, it was on Broadway where like I think they're right. Like maybe, you know, maybe it would have done better. I don't know. Would it have? Because you already had one on. Off-Broadway, off Broadway. you know, so then you would just have two wild yeah. parties off-Broadway. Well, and the
1: producers of the Lipa version said, it's just not going to do well on Broadway. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you never know. No, you you don't. Sometimes it's people a weird just thing. rush to make those decisions yeah. because there's a theater open. You know what yeah. I mean? And sometimes that's all it takes. Right. We've got a space right now, so do we want to do it or not? Because we have to make the decision right now. Right. Before someone else does. Right. Yeah.
2: That And I... I'm sure like that's always a major piece of it, is like you said, is our theater open? yeah um, okay, the public's uh board chairman, Kenneth B. Luer, said <laughs> that going straight to Broadway also made economic sense because the public planned to put up just two point four million or half the cost of the show, so it was only ninety nine hundred thousand more than it would have cost to produce it downtown at the public. On Lafayette Street, so if they had just stayed at the pub, like it, I guess yeah. it was like a little bit under a million dollar difference, mm-hmm. which I mean, yeah, I guess I can see. I mean, you know, and then at least you have a chance at the Tonys, where if you yeah. just do the public theater, like you don't have a chance at. That's true. Chance at that, and then if it's a chance, you know, like we still remember watching it at the Tonys. Yes, we do. And that's 17 years later. We yeah. still remember that. I still have visuals in my mind. Yeah. Right now as we speak. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that yeah. says something, right? Definitely. Um, and then also, uh, Wolf and LaCusa said to do the show justice, uh, they would need an, a big orchestra pit and a sizable proscenium stage. So, <laughs> also, they there's speculation as to whether or not, like, Tony Collette's agent was like, "Well, she'll only do it if it's going to go to Broadway." And like okay. her agent says that's that was never said, but they're okay. like it was said. Well, I mean, and I was going to say that, you know, mm-hmm.
1: if it had stayed off Broadway, would they have continued to have Mandy, Tony and Eartha? Right, right. I, I right. don't know the that's answer. No, I don't you know, obviously either. Obviously, we're not in their minds, but you right. never know. You know, off-Broadway means a huge pay cut.
2: Right. No, obviously, that's probably Although, different for stars. So here's the thing that's very interesting. Okay. is it said all over this article that, like, the cast still took a huge pay cut just huh. so that it could go to Broadway. Oh, wow. So, like, in that respect, it wouldn't so much matter, I guess, because yeah. they... Oh, they just wanted they wanted it to be successful so much that they mm-hmm. were willing to not make as much money. Well, yeah. Um so in the end these are the numbers, right? The public knew it could not afford to produce a wild party on Broadway without outside financial help. Okay? Mm-hmm. So given that musicals usually cost from 5 to 10 million, uh the public spent Oh, they had just spent 8 million on on the town. So they were like kind of gun shy, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Rudin's team got 4.8 million. Um and then the public put up and then he said whatever went past like the amount that he gave, the public theater would need to cover. And so in the end they needed to they ended up having to cover about 1.1 $1. 1 million. Okay. dollars to cover the the total cost to put the show up. But of course like there there wasn't a return. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a profit, so. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry for you. Yeah. So the show opened on April 13th to mixed reviews. Um, John Lahr wrote in The New Yorker, The enormous energy that comes across the footlights feels more like theatrical hyperventilation than revelation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know. Ben Brantley of the New York Times called it a cause for sorrowful head shaking. Wow. And a review that many at the public blame for the show's demise, given the influence of the newspaper's chief theater critic. Of Mm -hmm. course, Ben Brantley, always. (laughs) Yep. Um, Let's see. Is this the final cost? No. Nope. 1.1 is what they gave. So altogether, that's... 5.6 million dollars to put on the show that like in total because because like I said Scott said he was giving Mm 4.5 and then the public in the end needed to cover Mm 1.1 so I think that's that's right but that's in that's like 17 years ago so now that's probably double that yeah yeah so, I guess the answer is we don't know, yeah <laughs> I, I mean I don't know what the amount is in twenty seventeen numbers, yeah, but. no, that's okay yeah. yeah, it's an interest i mean it's a
1: i I was always so confused. Back in 1999 and 2000, you know, when I first got the soundtrack and then I realized, or the cast recording, and then I realized there was another cast recording of another show that was the same show. Yeah. I was always so confused by that. And I always thought, why didn't they just wait?
2: Right. I feel like maybe if they, like that, that thought just passed through my head as I was, as we were talking. I thought, well, what if, what if what they actually did was something like wait until Vanessa had her baby? Mm hmm. Or. I, yeah, I mean, it's just, or, I don't know. I don't know.
1: You could have even probably changed the title, and it would have made so much more of a difference. Right. But to have two shows named the same thing right. with the same source material, even if it had been the same source material, if you had a different title, it would have led people differently. I don't know. It's weird. Right. But I, I I, think I'm still confused by the decision right that these two men made that these all of these producers made right to just go ahead with it oh um oh hey andrew uh jeffrey and i can't remember the third guy's name right now but uh you know um we just so you know they're gonna open this other wild party on broadway in about a month right so and then they were like yeah that's cool we'll be fine (laughs) and likewise oh uh hey michael uh, just so you know, there's already a production in progress right. right now in New York City. And he was like, yeah, but is it Broadway? I just don't know. the com- <laughs> I don't know the conversations that they had right. that, that made these things
2: OK for them. Right. They're like, yeah, but it's so different. You know what I mean? But how it's, did you know that? It's weird, too, because it's a thing that happens all the time mm. in film. Yeah. Like you have, like, for example, Chef. So there was the movie <laughs> Chef that... Um, John Favreau did, and in that same time period, at the exact same time, um, uh, oh gosh, Bradley Cooper was also doing a movie that was, like, very similar. Yeah. Well, do you remember... And then
1: there's the two Jungle Books. uh Uh-huh. Illusion and Prestige came out at the
2: same same season. Yeah,
1: the same time. And so you're like, which one is... I have no idea which one is which. I think I've watched them both, but I could have just watched one. Well,
2: Ed... Oh, gosh. He's such a good actor. Ed, Ed Norton. Yeah. He's in... Illusion? Yes. Or Illusionist. Illu- the Illusionist.
1: And Hugh Jackman is, is in, in Prestige. prestige. Yeah. And Christian Bale, right? Yeah, is in the Prestige. I think I've seen the Ed Norton
2: one. Okay. I, <laughs> I saw both of them. I think I've not seen the whole... I mean,
1: I I remember seeing scenes maybe, mm-hmm. but not... I don't know. But they all run together because they're basically the same same. movie. It's the same. You're right. And it's, it's so confusing to audiences. And with movies... You watch it once and you can just forget it the next day, but with theater, you need a continuous audience coming right. and seeing your show. Right, right. And word of mouth is so much of that. So if you have an audience that goes and sees it, and they're like, "I'm really confused by this. And why are there two? And which one did you get tickets for? And oh, Myrtle, you got the wrong one. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I <don't> <laughs> they show up at the Virginia Theater and they've got their tickets yeah. for the you know Manhattan Theater Club, right. and you're like, "Oh, I'm sorry. You're at the wrong. You're at the wrong one." Wild party! You're supposed to go over there. Yeah. You know it's so silly to me. Yeah, but what are you gonna do? Yeah,
2: I mean it. It makes for a fun conversation and like <laughs> totally. the two schools of thought. It's like the the Jets and the Sharks. Oh yeah, that's how people are about these wild I think parties. So too. Yeah. I think so too. Tell us what you think. Yeah, let you, us know on us our know. Facebook
1: or on Twitter, and let us know which one is you. Are you a Lucusa or are you a Lipa? i feel like i'm asking are you an edward or are you a, what a jackman is, what is it jackman oh Hugh Jackman. I, i'm sorry i no. went to twilight
2: oh edward, i don't the know the vampire and
1: when. what's the what's the werewolf's name i don't know either something with a j edward and i'm so old I don't know these things. Well, I'm just, I'm like, you know, the werewolf. Listen, I'm John John Hughes. Who was the werewolf in that movie? (laughs) I I don't don't even know. I don't know.
2: (laughs) I'm too old for this. I just like my John Hughes movies.
1: (laughs) Oh, 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 and? What? This is going to be so far away from the actual intermission so that we just posted, which is number five, uh, number five, I think it's number five five? that we talk about this. The one that we, yes. Uh, As I, I posted Intermission episode 5, and I was listening to it while I was uh, doing that. We talked about Martha Plimpton being in the movie Hello Again. Right. And I said she was in that movie with Yardley Smith, something, something, Billy, uh, where she like was in a standoff with police. And I don't remember anything else. So I looked this up finally, mm-hmm. and I looked it up under Martha Plimpton in IMDb, and I could not find it anywhere. So then I looked up Yardley Smith. It's The Legend of Billie Jean, but it was not Martha Plimpton. Who was it? Oh, no. I can't even remember. Oh, no. Okay, Wait, look. Natalie, no, look. look it up again. IMDB
2: to the rescue. Everybody's <laughs> like, this where? What are... She's is this like, a... well, it's like, what? It's not Martha Plimpton. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, what is it?
2: What's it called again? Legend
1: Led- of Billie Jean.
2: <laughs> Helen Slater. I have no idea who that is.
1: <laughs> but what was kind of funny is that Christian Slater was also in it. <laughs> oh,
2: that's confusing. I don't think
1: they're related. They related. I don't think so. But anywho, so I thought I'd bring that back because I know that people are probably thinking I'm a nutso, that I didn't <laughs> know the title and I didn't know what the movie was about and I didn't I didn't even have the lead actress correct.
2: They don't really look alike either. Not at all.
1: No. But I think because <laughs> Goonies had come out, and I think that Martha
2: Plimpton was in Goonies. Look, Maybe. I'm I checking. I'm not. I don't know anymore. No,
1: I mean, like it's just you know what? What is it? Like the early '80s? Yeah. So I'm a kid,
0: right? You know what I mean? And right. I watch
1: these movies, and so as a grown up, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that was Martha Plimpton, and of course I don't know. It's been. 30 years since I've seen it. <laughs> Martha Plimpton
2: is in Goonies. Okay. Woo!
1: <laughs> and that all happened around the same time that Billie Jean came out. So, okay. anyway.
2: They seem. They, I haven't seen Billie Jean, but it looks like it's different. Is it different than Goonies? It looks like it's very. I mean, she's in like a scantily clad like type like, outfit.
1: All of like... those. All of those 80s movies are slightly the same. But no, Billie Jean. The legend of Billie Jean was like, she was this, like, Texas girl who decided she's going to cut her hair, which was uh, apparently, like, the thing. (laughs) You see, like, you're looking at me, and I've got very short hair. Uh, And I cut my hair because I was, like, literally like, you know what? I'm going to do it because what do I care anymore? Mm -hmm. And I kept it so long for theater. Mm -hmm. But nobody ever sees my hair in theater because we wear wigs. But you don't get cast because you have short hair. Like, you get cast because you look whatever they want to see at any certain point. And so that was what I was fighting against Mm -hmm. when I cut off all my hair. Well, apparently Billie Jean cut off all her hair for some reason. But then there was, again, there was like a police standoff and she and her friends were like, went on the run. Not for cutting your hair, but like for something else. Okay. But it was the start. Like she got into trouble for whatever reason. And then she was like, you know what? Screw it. And she like took scissors to her hair in I think a gas station bathroom. I think that's what I recall from... Thirty years ago. <laughs> this is the fun. I'm like, you know what? It's fun. But I was thinking about that earlier, and then I was, I was like, okay, so what? Can I? What am I going to say when I um, correct that in the next episode? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, okay, yes, this was our scavenger hunt, and I, I just threw a little Swedish fish into the mix, and I went Swedish fish, a red herring. <laughs> And then I made myself laugh.
2: (laughs) I'm just going to throw some Swedish fish. And I was like, Swedish fish? That's not the
1: same. (laughs) Oh, it's a red herring.
2: (laughs) Well, they're red. They're both red. (laughs) That is true. Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. I know. I was like, like, what is that even? I know. I saw that in your face because I did the same thing. (laughs) It's like Swedish fish
1: red herring (laughs) (laughs) all right we have got to go it's well past our bedtime yes i know you hear us say that a lot it is 9 30 i should be washed face in my pajamas in my bed reading right now (laughs) (laughs) but anyway hey guys thanks for listening thank you so much (laughs) we appreciate you we really do bye hey geeks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Could you just do us a favor and go to Facebook at Theatre Geeks Anonymous?
2: Also, you can follow us on Twitter at TGA. B-way. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, P- oh man, B-Way
1: at gmail.com. Oh, perfect. Uh, to send us any comments, uh, ideas for our intermission episode. Totally. Oh my gosh, anything you want to send us, send us there. Or you can also
2: message us on either Twitter or Facebook. Yes, you can. Uh, like, share, follow. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Oh, and where else are we? We are also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you are an Android user, Right. which I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, none of my friends are. <laughs> I'm just so kidding. are we not friends? Is that what
1: you're saying? What are you talking about, we're more than friends. <laughs> This is going way south. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, thank you guys. You're awesome. Uh, thanks for listening. Send us to all of your friends. Yeah, if, if there's anybody you know that you think will like us, please totally. tell them to listen. Hey, if you go to college in a theater
2: department, spread us around. Yeah. I mean spread us like a like a sun butter. Listen, if you want to be <laughs> the ultimate theater geek oh. and know about shows that nobody else knows mm-hmm. about I think you might want to be
1: trying to listen to us. You could be going to your 9 p.m. rehearsal, going, hey guys, have you ever heard of the show Senator Joe? Yeah. Or maybe something called, I don't know, Kelly. Okay.
2: <laughs> well that's it. Thank you so Thanks, much guys. for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: 18 plus.